Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. I'm Pat Steele, and I'll be doing the reading today. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. And here is our first story from the first week of August Business Record. And the headline for our first story is How Employers Should Think About Leadership Development. This is a story written by Emily Barsky-Wood. Uh, she is a reporter with the Business Record. While being a born leader may apply to some leaders, a growing body of research suggests that leadership skills can be developed through practice. As a Harvard Business Review once, Harvard Business Review once put it, good leaders are good learners. We asked our 2023 40 Under 40 alum of the year to share her thoughts and recommendations on leadership development. Kim Butler Higgedus is the Executive Vice President and Chief Lending Officer of Community State Bank. And here's what she told us via email. Uh, again, this is an article written by Emily Barsky-Wood, and part of this uh, question and answer session has been lightly edited and condensed for clarity. And the first uh, question that Emily posed for Kim was this one. What are your recommendations for someone hoping to develop their leadership skills at work? And Kim's answer is, I would recommend that employers, employees find a leader they admire and foster a mentoring relationship with that person. Most genuine leaders will invest in and lend a hand to promising leaders. As leaders develop, I also think it's critical for them to check in with themselves to see if how they're conducting themselves makes them worthy of being followed by others in their organization. Second question, what activities or involvement outside of work might help with developing leadership skills? Response, invest in personal development by participating in the many leadership programs offered throughout our community. I also think community involvement develops leadership as most board volunteers are also leaders in their professional lives and the organization they choose to serve. Next question, there are many different personality types. How can someone focus on their own strengths and characteristics to become a leader? Response, there are any number of personality tools available to identify personal strengths and characteristics to help people be more self-aware so they can focus on areas that need improvement or things they are really good at. Finding a mentor to be honest with them and challenge them is also very helpful in leadership development. How should employers be thinking about leadership development? Employers should, be absolute, should absolutely invest in leadership development as a strategic initiative to attract and retain talent. Whether hiring a third-party training company or developing an internal program, employers who offer this professional development have a competitive advantage in their industry. What kinds of initiatives or programs would you recommend employers foster to support leadership development? Community State Bank developed our leadership development curriculum. We just wrapped up our second year of LEAD, which stands for Leadership, Experience, and Development, and are gearing up for year three. We encourage employees at all levels to apply for the program. The premise of LEAD is that you don't have to have a title or even a team to be a leader. Anyone can lead from anywhere in the company. We continue to learn from the prior year to deliver an exceptional experience using third-party training companies and internal expertise. Class size is limited to nine employees from all lines of the business. Though each member of the Business Records 2023 40 Under 40 class has different passion areas, they have all found activities through work and the community to develop as leaders. 
Here's what up-and-comers aspire to do as they develop as leaders and their hopes for the Central Iowa business community. First person is Corey Dion Lewis. He's a clinical health coach at Broadlands Medical Center. And the question that Emily posed for Corey is, what are your goals for your community involvement? And Corey's response is, through my podcast, The Healthy Project, I aim to raise awareness and advocate for health equity. I also strive to bring attention to health disparities and find solutions to these issues through my health equity conference, My City, My Health. And next question, uh, Emily posed for Corey. What are your future aspirations? His response, I envision My City, My Health pushing the limits in health equity conferences held in Des Moines. I anticipate the growth of the conference, culminating in the eventual hosting of a global health equity conference known as My World, My Health Conference in Des Moines. And again, that uh, article was written by Emily Barsky-Wood, who is the editor of the Business Record. Our next article from the August uh, week of August 1st Business Record is a workplace evolution from office to destination. This is a sponsored content article written by Jeremy Redding. The future of the workplace is here. Flexibility and adaptability are the new standard, but we have moved beyond this baseline to deliver designs that take a unique approach for each company and provide employees with choices of how they work and enjoy their space. By integrating hospitality design to deliver amenity-rich, wellness-focused, state-of-the-art technology offerings, we are evolving the workplace into a true destination to engage employees and meet their needs in a way that can compete with remote working possibilities. The standard stagnant corporate office is a thing of the past, replaced by a design for motion and collaboration. In making the workplace a home away from home, unique hospitality-infused amenities reflect the same luxury and convenience employees have come to love while working remotely. Organizations are integrating the hospitality approach to provide their teams with a healthy, happy, and fun work environment. The most unique offerings in the market come in from the form of leisure spaces, on-site food trucks, tech innovation rooms, and podcast rooms to create content on-site. Productivity-focused spaces allow employees to work in different ways that best complement their work style. Cozy libraries and individual phone booth style pods promote quiet work, while multi-person breakout rooms with soft seating accommodate collaborative work. The varying sizes and styles of space throughout the office allow employees to adventure through the workspace, able to work remotely without leaving the campus. Choice of work venue within the space enhanced with aesthetic touches creates an environment that allows employees to work productively in their own way. Health and wellness practices should not take a back seat in the workplace, so employers are prioritizing facilitating their team's holistic needs to improve their well-being in and outside of the office. RTG Medical's new headquarters accomplish this by including fitness options like a yoga studio, basketball court, golf simulator, lakeside kayaks, and a cafe stocked with healthy food options. Access to spa facilities and outdoor activities also connects employees to their surroundings and gives them a reprieve from the workday. Furnished outdoor spaces are easily converted as both workplaces and social areas for company events. Beyond amenities, aesthetic wellness includes the use of natural and sustainable materials, comfortable lighting, 
optimal acoustics, and active furnishings to provide a healthy and happy work environment. Purposeful design, amenities, and variation that resonate with employees are crucial to creating an engaging environment and shifting the mindset from the workplace being somewhere you must be to one you want to be at. At DLR Group, it's our job as designers to understand the unique pulse of each organization's objective and culture to cultivate a space that meshes with employees and business goals, building consensus, surveying employees, and integrating ourselves into our clients' community, engaging with them during planning and design, help us understand how the delivery space that makes the workplace a true destination. And Jeremy Redding, who wrote this article, is a global workplace leader and a senior principal at the DLR Group. Our next article is a column on leadership. Can confronting unexpected fears make you a better leader? What I Learned from Crossing a Bridge. This is an article written by Susanna Dabaka, and she's the president and CEO of the Business Record. And she writes, I was recently quite surprised to confront a fear I didn't even know I had. While driving across the bridge over the Mississippi River on a trip to Wisconsin, I experienced a panic attack, which is quite unusual for me. Knowing I could not stop in the middle, I talked myself through it, focusing on a point straight ahead, breathing intentionally and telling myself repeatedly to just keep moving forward. When I got to the other side of the river, I pulled over in a parking lot to recover and thought, what the heck was that all about? Fears and phobias are common, with the National Institute of Mental Health estimating 9.1% of United States adults have a specific phobia, an intense, irrational fear of something that poses little to no real danger. I am not afraid of spiders, snakes, bats, or crowded spaces, but apparently I experienced G. Fryobia, the scientific name for fear of driving over bridges. The incident was so unexpected and so ripe for metaphor, I started asking others about it. I was shocked to learn that numerous people I talked to have had the same experience, even confident drivers. It struck me how little we know about each other's fears and how so how comforting it was to know I was not alone in this reaction. A Harvard Business Review article called Leaders Don't Be Afraid to Talk About Your Fears and Anxiety said that we all struggle with stress, anxiety, and other difficult emotions. That article says it can be difficult for leaders to know what to do with feelings of vulnerability, especially because we are supposed to be in control, confidently leading and supporting our teams. However, there is much we can learn from fear and much we can achieve by sharing our own journeys and acknowledging that our team members may also be experiencing these types of emotions, work-related, or in other parts of their life. Said an article from Full Sail Leadership Academy, Fear cannot be escaped or avoided. It must be overcome. Learning how to identify, confront, and triumph over fear in your workplace will empower you to flourish. The Harvard Business Review article referenced research that categorized leaders into three categories. Heroes, who focus on the positive and show up as invincible. Technocrats, who move immediately to tactics and data, never showing emotion and sharers who openly acknowledge feelings, positive or negative. In my experience, the corporate world has traditionally reinforced that the hero or technocrat personas are the most acceptable, professional, effective forms of leadership based on the assumption that showing weakness will undermine one's authority. 
What if sharing real emotion and showing vulnerability is good for the leader and also creates a more effective and positive culture? The HBR article, again, that's the Harvard Business Review, asserts that sharing emotion is a healthy behavior both physically and mentally. Suppressing a negative emotion actually makes us feel worse, which is not helpful when we are trying to lead. Similarly, never showing negative emotion can actually create distance between leaders and team members. If others are under the impression that you, as a leader, are not struggling, even in times of stress, it sends a message that perhaps there is something wrong with them if they are experiencing difficulties or that they should certainly not admit their feelings. Fear can push us forward and thereby help us advance individually. Sharing these emotions can build trust and security within our organizations. The Full Sail article says that staying in our comfort zones may seem to be providing safety, but this is just an illusion. The article says, Human beings are not designed to live within comfort zones. We flourish in the growth zone. Confronting my newly discovered fear of driving over bridges was certainly an experience for reflection and growth, even if it was simultaneously terrifying and puzzling. Not only did I have to look at what I was afraid of, but also explore why. The narrow structure of the bridge make me feel trapped? Did the limited sight lines make me feel out of control? Were other stresses in my life exacerbating my general anxiety about driving? I'm still not sure of the exact cause, but looking inwardly at this unexpected reaction forced me to examine a variety of issues, which is always positive. Talking about it with others made me feel better and, unexpectedly, gave a few of us some shared experiences. Of course, after this happened on the way to Wisconsin, I wondered how the return trip would play out. Sure enough, when I made the crossing back to Iowa over a different bridge a few days later, I had the same symptoms, vertigo, shallow breathing, sweat on my brow. But I was able to push through these feelings again. I may be afraid when I come to the next big bridge, but I'm not going to change my routes or avoid such crossings. I know that if it happens, I can simply focus, breathe, and keep driving. I've made it before, and I can do it again. After all, isn't confronting our fears and overcoming them again and again how we all actually advance? And this, again, was a column written by Susanna DeBaca, who is the president and CEO of Business Publications Corporation. And the next article is a, actually a column called The Elbert Files. This is written by Dave Elbert, and this uh, week's edition is entitled Kaleidoscope Era Ends. Demolition of the downtown Kaleidoscope Mall on Walnut Street marks the end of an era. The mall is coming down to make way for a 33-story apartment building. For much of the 20th century, Walnut Street was the retail hub of Des Moines. It was home to the big department stores Yonkers, Davidson's, Sears, and J.C. Penney, along with Kresge and Woolworth and specialty retailers of furniture, jewelry, shoes, and other items. The Kaleidoscope Mall was an attempt to recapture some of that retail glory, which by the 1980s had mostly departed for the suburbs. The two-block-long mall was hailed as the jewel in the crown of downtown Des Moines when it opened in 1985. It turned out to be more disappointment than success, Although the mall, which closed for good in March, was for the decades the centerpiece of the downtown Skywalk system. Built by the Hubble family and Mid-American Energy 
the kaleidoscope arrived midway through the 1980s construction boom that followed the 1979 arrival of the Des Moines Civic Center in nearby Nolan Plaza, now Coles Commons. Major developments in 1981 include the downtown Marriott Hotel, Locust Mall, Bill Knapp's Civic Center Court Apartments, and Elsie Mason Manor, a high-rise for older Iowans. In 1982, John Ruan built the Carrier's Insurance Building, rebranding the building as Ruan II after the truck insurer went belly up. Capitol Square and a new Polk County Jail were built in 1983, followed by the Polk County Convention Center, which is now the Wellmark YMCA, and the Plaza, the first downtown high-rise condominium, also on Walnut Street, two blocks east of the Kaleidoscope. More downtown development followed in 1986 and 87, including the State Historical Building on the east side and the Hub Tower, a commercial high-rise adjoining the west end of the Kaleidoscope. At about the same time that the Kaleidoscope was taking shape, Walnut Street underwent a major transformation from a four-lane street to a two-lane transit mall. No cars, only city buses and some delivery vehicles were allowed on the six-block long stretch between the Civic Center at 2nd Street and Yonkers Department Store at 8th Street. Sidewalks were widened to comfortably accommodate commuters as they waited for bus transfers or shopped or climbed up into the skywalk at the Kaleidoscope. But none of it ever quite worked. Neither the retail mall nor the transit mall were ever rated as success. Part of the problem was the Kaleidoscope had virtually no retail on the ground level. Stores were primarily on the Skywalk level above the transit mall. Retail occupancy, even on the Skywalk, was sporadic. The Skywalk was busy for an hour or so each morning when office workers arrived for the day, during the noon hour when they took lunch breaks, or on occasions when high school students and their families took over downtown for sports tournaments, meets, or other events. Otherwise, there just wasn't enough traffic in the skywalks to attract many retailers. Hubble Realty Company, the leasing agent, wanted to sign McDonald's as a named tenant for the Kaleidoscope's opening on October 10, 1985, but failed. Instead, Burger King took a ground-floor location in 1988. Carry-out restaurants occupied a third-floor third food court at the east end of the mall and did strong lunch-hour business for several years. Later, Palmer's Deli and Brugger's Bagels would attract loyal customers, but fast food was an amenity, not an attraction for mainline retailers. City Grill, a California Mediterranean-style restaurant, was popular in 1985 but failed in 1989. Its space, along with most of the ground floor of the east half of the Kaleidoscope, was converted to office space for Principal Financial Group in 1992. Problems were obvious from the outset. The Kaleidoscope opened with only three of the 16 stores that were committed to space, and the 16 that eventually opened were fewer than 60 to 70 stores that the mall's owners planned. I'm sorry, that the mall's planners wanted. Only time will tell if a 33-story residential building is the answer for Walnut Street, which has in recent years seen more residential development than retail. And again, that's uh, uh, Albert's Files, which is written by Dave Albert, a columnist for the business record. And the business record annually selects its women of influence, and they have announced that list. So we will read the uh, winners of the uh, business records, women of influence. 
These awards celebrate the work of women who have made a difference. They've devoted their lives to doing things most wouldn't. They've spent countless hours on various boards, and they've blazed a trail either personally or professionally for other women to follow. Now more than ever, we need leaders who operate with strength, resilience, and empathy. The 2023 Women of Influence honorees exemplify these characteristics. Their stories of work, both past and present, are inspiring, especially in a time when we need role models who offer humility and thoughtfulness. This year's honorees dedicate time, resources, and effort to businesses and community organizations. They lead in top roles at large organizations and at small organizations that punch above their weight class. They plan initiatives and strategies that are transforming Greater Des Moines and its citizens. They have earned multiple degrees. They come from different backgrounds. They have overcome challenges and embraced opportunities. They are not simply influential because of what they do or have done, but because of who they are. This is the 24th year uh, the business record has honored inspiring and influential women. They've amassed a tremendous amount of experience and wisdom and showcased integrity, grace, intelligence. We hope their stories inspire you as much as they inspire us. So the women this year, the Women of Influence by the Business Record in 2023, uh, Barbara Cohino decker she's the Executive Director of Catholic Charities of Des Moines, Angela Jackson, she's the Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Athene, Lisa Shimkat, she's the State Director for America's Small Business Development Centers of Iowa, Laura Sweet, Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at Des Moines Performing Arts, Terry Vaughn, Professional Director of the Emmett J. Vaughn Institute of Risk Management and Insurance as part of the University of Iowa Tippie College of Business. Maria Volante, she's the President of Volante Consulting. Mary Will, Mary Wells, the Polk County Treasurer and President and Co-Founder of Investing in My Future Incorporated. Kim Willis, a Community Champion. Shamina Ali, she's the Head of Business and Assurance at in cards and merchant services at Wells Fargo, and Claudia Shabel, president of Shabel Solutions Incorporated. Okay, next up is all the latest news from the business record. And our first uh, article in this uh, section is Buena Vista University Development Achievement Center Enter Strategic Partnership. Buena Vista University and the Hubbard County Department Development Achievement Center have entered a partnership that will allow employees at the center to receive grant funding to lower the overall cost of education while enrolled at classes at Buena Vista Storm Lake campus. Partner grant funding also lowers the cost per credit hour for students enrolled in Buena Vista's online undergraduate programs or their organizational leadership graduate program. Buena Vista University is thrilled to partner with the Hubbard County Development Achievement Center through our strategic partnership initiative, said Laura Todd, the Buena Vista Director of Strategic Partnerships. Access to quality, affordable education opens many opportunities for individuals which strengthens the communities we serve. The Hubbard County Center is located in Park Rapids, Minnesota is focusing on turning challenges into opportunities by providing specialized services to people with developmental disabilities and mental illness. This strategic partnership is an exciting opportunity to offer to our employees, Laura Johnson, Executive Director of the Center, said in a news release. And she added, individuals may want to enroll for some additional education. This offers them a way to do it remotely and more affordably.
You are listening to this week's edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to IRIS so that we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the Business Record. Our next article is the West Des Moines Leadership Academy, a West Des Moines Chamber of Commerce program, announced the 37 members of the 2023-24 class. They will take part in a nine-month program that is intended to guide emerging leaders on a path to leadership effectiveness through experiential learning, critical thinking, and a community impact project. Ashley Sharnesky, Advisory Council Chair, said in a news release, Once again, we have a strong curriculum for this year's class. Our program is a flow from inside reflection to outside action with relationships as a constant backdrop. Three members of the class receive full-ride scholarships provided by American Equity through the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Workplace Excellence Awards, West Des Moines Chamber of Commerce through the Black and Brown Business Summit Pitch Competition, and the West Des Moines Chamber's West YP program. The Chamber also awarded three partial tuition scholarships. Iowa Leading Indicators Index decreased 0.1% to 106.7 in June from 106.7 in May. The figures appear unchanged from month to month because they are rounded to one decimal point. During the six-month span through June, the index decreased 2%, an annualized rate of negative 3.9%. The six-month diffusion index remained unchanged at 12.5 in June. A six-month annualized change in the index below minus 2% and a six-month diffusion index below 50 are considered a signal of a coming contraction when seen together. The six-month diffusion index remained in contractionary signals for the sixth month in a row, whereas the six-month annualized change remained below the contractionary threshold for the, eight month, for the eighth month in a row. The monthly diffusion index increased to 43.8 in June from a revised 12.5 in May. A diffusion index measures the proportion of components rising in a given time period. Components are assigned values based on how they increased or decreased over the time period, and the assigned values for all the components are then added together. The Iowa Non-Farm Employment Coincident Index recorded a 0.01% decrease in June, the first month of negative change since March 2021. The Iowa Non-Farm Employment Coincident Index is computed using a complex computation based on the Conference Board's Leading Indicators Index. Four of the eight components, uh, four of the eight components increased month over month in June. The Iowa Stock Market Index, the National Yield Spread, Diesel Fuel Consumption, Average Weekly Manufacturing Hours. Residential Building Permits, the Agricultural Future Profits Index, the Average Weekly Unemployment Claims, and New Orders Index detracted from the index. During June, 20 of the 28 Iowa-based or Iowa-concentrated publicly traded companies on the Iowa Stock Market Index companies gained value and 9 of the 10 financial sector companies increased. With over two-thirds of the stocks experiencing gains, the stock market index increased to 119.54 in June from 115.09 in May. 
The yield spread increased in June, yet remained in, in inversion territory at minus 1.67% from minus 1.74% in May. June is the eighth month in a row that the yield spread has been in inversion. The long-term rate increased 18 basis points, while the short-term rate increased 11 basis points. Diesel fuel consumption increased 1.3% between June 2022 and June 2023. The 12-month moving average increased to 66.86 million gallons in June from 66.79 million in May. The 12-month moving average is the average of an indicator over the last 12 months. Moving averages smooth data to remove noise or seasonality. The 12-month moving average of average weekly manufacturing hours increased to 39.33 in June from a revised 39.325 in May. In June, average hours were 39.5 above the 39.4 hours in June of 2022, yet nearly two hours below the historical monthly average. The new orders index decreased in June to 51.6 compared with 52.3 in May. The 12-month moving average of the new orders index has decreased to 52.0 from 65.3 in June of 2022. In June, the 12-month moving average of average weekly unemployment claims increased from 1,871 to 1,901. Unemployment claims were 25.7% above June 2022 claims, yet 46.5% below average historical claims for June. During June, the Agricultural Futures Profit Index showed expected profit decreases in both crop commodities and live cattle. Lean hogs was the only commodity with an expected profit increase. Compared with last year, new crop corn prices were 19.7% lower, while soybean prices were 16.5% lower. The June crush margin for cattle decreased 1.6% from May, while the crush margin for hogs increased 2.4%. In June, residential building permits were 1,115, down from 1,481 last year. The 12-month moving average decreased to 963 in June and 994 in May. June permits were 3.1% below June 2022 and 7.1% below the monthly historical average. Continuing from the first week of August business record, Denvo named official construction sponsor of the Norwalk Project. Denova, I should say, Denova Construction Solutions has been named the official construction sponsor for the Greg Young Auto Sports Campus at Norwalk Central, the city announced. Denovo has been involved with the Norwalk Central development from the project's beginning phases to the current implementation and construction athletic facilities. Later this year, Denovo will be construction on the Sportsplex USA facility. Norwalk Central is a planned mixed-use development in the center of the Warren County community. Creighton Business Conditions Index falls to lowest level since 2020. The Creighton University Mid-America Business Conditions Index snapped a five-month streak of climbing above the growth neutral threshold with the overall index covering a nine-state region from Minnesota to Arkansas, slumping to 46.1 in July from 50.8 in June. 
The index ranges from 0 to 100 with a score of 50 representing growth neutral. This is the lowest overall reading since the beginning of the pandemic in May 2020. Ernie Goss, the Jack A. McAllister Chair in Regional Economics at Creighton University, said in a news release. Iowa's overall July index dropped to 46 uh, from June's 55.4. The state's new orders fell to 43.1 in July from 51.6 in June. Production of sales slid to 40.4, down from 50.7. Delivery lead time dropped to 48.0 from 57. Employment fell to 48.2 from 59.1. And inventories decreased to 50.2 from 58.8. Iowa exports expanded by 75.7.5% in the first five months of 2023, compared to the same time period in 2022, according to the U.S. International Trade Association data. The state's leading export, machinery manufacturing, expanded by 34.1% from 2022 to 2023. The regional hiring gauge dropped below growth neutral to 45.6 from June's 50.0, and seasonally adjusted manufacturing employment in the region has now decreased for two consecutive months, according to the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics data. For some time, Creighton's monthly survey has indicated steady employment growth and levels have been maintained due to manufacturers' labor hoarding, Goss said. However, this month's hiring gauge is a signal of July layoffs in the region. The wholesale inflation index slumped to 52.2 from June 67.4, and May 74.0, but supply managers expect wholesale prices for the products and services their firms purchased to increase by 4.8% during the next 12 months. Meanwhile, the confidence index remained unchanged from June's 32.6. We now look at some real estate news. Hyperion Field Club sells undeveloped Johnston land for $1.5 million. This is an article written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Denton Homes and Carmel Development, doing business as Carmel Hyperion SS Development, paid $1.5 million for a 30-acre tract north of Northwest Beaver Drive in Johnston. The companies, which recently announced plans for an executive residential golf community on the undeveloped land, acquired the property from Hyperion Field Club. Denton Homes and Carmel Developments are owned by Scott and Stephanie Denton, who have been building luxury custom homes in central Iowa for over 18 years. Carmel Hyperion will be located directly across from the entrance to Hyperion Field Club on the east side of its driving range off Beaver Drive. 27 lots will be available. A groundbreaking ceremony for the development was held last week. The limited liability company obtained $2 million mortgage on the property through Twin Cedars Banks. That real estate transaction was recorded on July 26th. One other real estate note, Iowa Equity Exchange paid the Cynthia O'Brien Revocable Trust and several others $6.8 million for farmland in Dallas County. The land is about four miles north of U.S. Highway 6 and west of R Avenue in Dallas County. That transaction was recorded on July 28th. CBRIE and JLL released second quarter industrial market reports. Construction was completed on over 
million square feet of new industrial space in the greater Des Moines market in the second quarter, with 18% of the space pre-released, CBRE Incorporated reported in its latest market report. Just over 370,000 square feet of industrial space remains under construction according to the report. Overall, the vacancy rate of warehouse and distribution space in the Des Moines area was 6.34% in the second quarter. The vacancy rate for flex space was 3.77% according to CBRE's report. The largest project under construction in the Des Moines area is incoming, where a 635,000 square foot distribution warehouse is being built. The warehouse will be used mostly by Lomar Distribution, Hy-V Incorporated Specialty Product Division. The market will see gradual lease-up of the existing speculative space due to continual industrial demand, according to JLL's report. Construction cost increases have begun to slow or remain flat, but the tight labor market is still a challenge in the trade industries. And continuing with some real estate notes, uh, Granger annexation includes residential and commercial development. This is an article written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. The state's approval of the annexation of 503 acres south and east of Granger could pave the way for both residential and commercial development as a community of about 2,000 people prepares for rapid growth spreading from the metro. The state city development board, which is part of the Iowa Economic Development Authority, approved the voluntary annexation on July 12th. In addition to a $115 million mixed-use development known as Lambert's Landing, Hope K Farms is planning a development in the annexed area. According to City Development Board documents, most of the landowners have generational ties to Granger. They realize that the area is undergoing rapid development and want the land to remain part of the Granger community. All the annexation is 100% landover driven, said Granger City Administrator Kirk Riorland. It's kind of a changing of the guard. We have retirees or those close to retirement slowing down who own a tremendous amount of ground around the Granger area, and they want to make sure their roots stay connected to Granger. Tim Day, who's the Director of Real Estate Development for Hope K Farms, said its development, which would be on the land east of Granger, would be primarily for single-family homes. He added, there could be some lots we would propose along Iowa Highway 141 that could be lightly commercial Nothing industrial per se. The terrain there lends itself more to single-family residential. Day said no development would be expected to happen for maybe two years. The previous owner moved to Indiana and was leasing the property to a local farmer, and Day said Hope K Farms is continuing those arrangements until development would begin. It's still pretty green out there, still rural, still ag, and it'll probably stay that way for a couple years, he said. The area included in the annexation still zoned agricultural documents show. David Arbright, a partner in MAD LLC, said of the 174 acres they purchased for Lambert's Landing development, only about 65 are developer, developable. They are working with the U.S. Corps, Army Corps of Engineers and Iowa Department of Natural Resources on a wetland mitigation project in 81 of the acres that border the Brenton Slough, he said. The mitigation project will include expanding the existing wetlands, which remain in a conservation district that borders three sides of the properties. 
Once those needs were identified, the developers looked at possible residential uses, Albright said. The residential uses include 64 lots for what Albright described as active adult villas and a clubhouse. The proposal also calls for the construction of 10 30-unit apartment buildings. There would also be 24 single-family estate lots that average one to three acres in size, Albright said. He said the plan also includes retail development on 14 acres along Iowa Highway 141. MAD LLC needs to have a preliminary plat for the project submitted to Granger's Planning and Zoning Commission on August 29th. Albright said, It's keeping the pristine aesthetics, wildlife, and rural views with housing to meet the needs of young families, seniors, and estate living. Of the, one, of the 503 acres that were annexed, 498 are in Polk County and about 4.9 acres are in Dallas County. There are also about 67 acres that are Iowa Department of Transportation right-of-way, with just over three acres being Polk County right-of-way. But Jordan Granger City Administrator said the annexation is just the latest plan for growth for Granger, which is issuing an average of 50 to 60 residential building permits a year. You can look at the western suburbs from Van Meter to West Des Moines, Clive, Urbandale, Grimes, and Waukee, and we're trying to judge what percentage of that are we going to see. It's a little early for us to do that, but we are well positioned with our infrastructure to do it. Bjorland said the city is preparing to handle a population of 5,000, although there isn't a timeline for when it could reach that number. The metro is heading this way, and we're putting plans to embrace that growth, he said. And again, this article was written by Michael Crum, who was a senior staff writer at the Business Record. Flourish seeks women, gender nonconforming entrepreneurs to apply for cash prizes. The organizers of Flourish are seeking applicants for its annual pitch event, which ultimately provides cash for women entrepreneurs and gender nonconforming entrepreneurs. Flourish is hosted by Fuse DSM and Love Local. This year's event will be September 26th at Willow on Grand uh, Avenue in Des Moines. Applications are due August 20th. Getting the community engaged in learning about and funding local ideas not only creates more success for business owners, but it builds local pride, knowing your own dollars are backing meaningful ideas. And that's from Emily Steele, who's the flounder flourish, said in a news release. Three people will be chosen from the applicants to pitch their ideas to live audience. At the end of the event, the audience will vote on who they want the money to go to. Proceeds from all ticket sales go to the winner. In 2023, the event raised uh, $3,000 to invest in pie bird pies and bread by Chelsea B. as they opened a bakery together. The other finalists, Des Moines Girl and DSM Culinary, received $500 each. Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa receives a national award. Uh, they were one of eight organizations out of 225 to receive a pinnacle award from Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. The Central Iowa organization was recognized during the 2023 Big Brothers Big Sisters, a bold path to a big future national conference. The award honors top agencies for increasing their revenue and growing their overall number of mentors, bigs and youths, or they call them bigs and littles, who are matched through the program year over year for two or more consecutive years. In the past, Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa has served 570 youth, 
We are very proud of the work we do and for it to be recognized by Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, Bridget Cravens-Neely, who is the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Iowa, and she made that statement in a news release. Serving youths is why we exist and why we will continue to exist long term. While the award recognition is great to receive, it's the impact we are making in the lives of young people that is the real win. The organization creates and supports one-to-one mentoring relationships that are intended to build self-confidence and emotional well-being and empower youth on a path to graduate with a plan for their future. New TIPI program aims to connect employers, business students for the long term. A new initiative from the TIPI College of Business at the University of Iowa will make it easier for employers to reach business students they want to hire beyond the usual online jobs databases and career fairs, according to a news release from the, co- news release from the college. The new TIPI corporate sponsorship program provides opportunities for employers to engage in the life of the college and build the brand with TIPI faculty and students while providing a contact to promote job opportunities for students by major, the news release said. We often hear that our students are in demand and employers would like more opportunities to build relations with them, said Amy Christoph Brown, who is the dean of the Tippy College of Business. This program is designed to help businesses build the brand on campus, connect with students through professional development events, and showcase their open positions to students who would be most interested in filling them. Participating businesses will have opportunities that range from helping raise their awareness among students by partnering with faculty to provide subject matter, guest speaking opportunities, and business case presentations and classes. The program begins this fall semester. Businesses that are interested in participating can join anytime. Fees charged to organizations to participate in the program are used to fund TIPI's Undergraduate Career Services Office. Christoph Brown said the partnerships would be especially helpful, helpful to businesses who need, who need to raise their brand awareness among college-age students and want to jumpstart their recruiting with strategic college connections. Christoph Brown said, We are excited to provide businesses with new avenues to forge lasting connections with the next generation of TIPI graduates, whether they've never worked with us before or are long-standing partners. Elsewhere in this week's business record, downtown Des Moines Chamber of Commerce names a new director. Jimmy Olson, a certified marketing consultant who has over 30 years of experience in radio, was recently selected as the new executive director of the downtown Des Moines Chamber of Commerce. Olson, who had been serving as director at large on the Chamber's Board of Directors, took over the position on July 24th and is currently in the onboarding stage in his new role. Olson said, I'm excited, looking forward to working with the downtown businesses and continuing the vision of the downtown Des Moines Area Chamber of Commerce. Olson has served as an MC at various networking and charity events through his radio work and private DJ business. He resides in the Drake neighborhood and will office out of various coffee shops and venues around the downtown area. Stacy Bennett, who served as executive director from February 2021 to April 2023, is now the business manager at Explore Alexandria Tourism in Minnesota. Joe Benish, secretary on the board of directors, briefly served as the interim director after Bennett left. Here's an interesting article that uh, bank rate ranks Iowa the best state to retire. In a study based on affordability, 40%, overall well-being, 25%, quality cost of health care, 20%, weather, 10%, and crime, 5%, 
Bankrate, a consumer financial services company, found Iowa to be the best state to retire after ranking at 14th a year ago. Choosing where to retire is deeply personal, but Iowa's affordable cost of living, inexpensive but high-quality health care, and low crime make it a compelling option for retirees looking to stretch the retirement income in this economy, Bankrate analyst Alex Gailey said in a news release. Iowa is the sixth cheapest place to live in the United States, according to the Council for Community and Economic Research. The state's median home price of $239,400, according to Redfin, is well below the nationwide median home price of $388,800. Homeowners insurance is below the national average as well. Iowa, however, ranks number three for property ta- number 23 for property taxes and number 22 for state and local tax, according to Adam Data Solutions. The state does not tax Social Security benefits, and Iowans who are 55 and older are exempt from paying state taxes on retirement income for the 2023 tax year, according to the Iowa Department of Revenue. Health care services and low health care costs in the state also influenced the top ranking. Bank rate ranked Alaska as the worst state to retire to. Manufacturers share the challenges that they will face in 2024. This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. Keeping pace with advancements in technology, ongoing workforce and supply chain challenges, and preparing for fluctuations in demand, Those are some of the challenges the manufacturing sector will face in 2024, according to panelists who will participate in the Iowa Business Records Made in Iowa Manufacturing Forecast, and that's scheduled for 11.30 to 1 o'clock on August 9th. This year's panelists include Laura Phillips, Vice President of Engineering at Pella, Michael O'Donnell, Director of Cirrus at Iowa State University, Megan Green, Council and Engineering Manager at Weiler, Derek Lewis, owner of Thelma's Treats, and Thomas Root, Associate Professor of Finance and Department Chair at Drake University. In advance of the manufacturing forecast, we asked panelists what challenges their company or the manufacturing sector would face in 2024 and a solution or strategy they are employing to address that challenge. Here are some of their responses, which have been lightly edited for brevity. Laura Phillips said, One challenge that Pella and the manufacturing industry are facing is keeping up with advancements in technology. Manufacturing technology looks vastly different than it did just 5 to 10 years ago, and it plays a pivotal role in shaping our industry. It can provide insights for improved decision-making, enhance operational efficiency and safety, and improve team member experience. Staying at the forefront of technological advancement requires specialized knowledge, skills, and investments from the organization. At Pella, we are investing heavily in strategies to advance and deploy technology. Our priorities include digitizing and modernizing our operations with smart factory solutions, as well as automating complex processes to make the work easier and more efficient for our team. Michael Donnell Uh, response was, a key challenge for manufacturing executives in 2024 will be rebalancing the business. We spent the past three and a half years in emergency response mode. Early indications are that supply chains are settling and companies are closer to meeting labor needs. Now is the time to step back and assess the overall business to make sure the right resources are in the right place. 
Consider comparing your headcount, cost, and product mix from 2019 to 2023. This will help you better identify positive changes that you can leverage and unwanted ones that can be fixed. Thomas Root said that 2024 national and regional manufacturing outlook is not surprisingly tied to the broad macroeconomic environment. Recently, there have been signs of a slowdown in production. This is reflecting the regional employment numbers in the industry. At the end of June, there were 7,000 fewer manufacturing employees in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, and Wisconsin compared to the end of April. Slightly over 1,000 had declined came in Iowa. This reduction in employment is a possible sign of slowing economic growth, which could place significant pressure on the industry over the next 12 to 18 months. Successfully planning for potential variability in demand will be a key to being successful in 2024. And Megan Green said, I anticipate our biggest challenge in 2024 will be maintaining our workforce and our supply chain. If demand for a product remains as strong as we expect it to, we'll have a difficult time keeping up unless we can continue to add employees and our supply chain partners can maintain higher levels of output capacity. In terms of strategy, we are increasing our ability to manufacture in-house so we are less dependent on third parties. We have also added alternate work schedules to attract and retain employees. Each of these uh, strategies has its limits, but we are making other small and incremental changes that will help too. And again, this is an article written by Michael Crum, a senior staff writer at the Business Record. Waterman named Executive Director of Home, Inc., Carrie Wooderman was named Executive Director of Home, Inc., the oldest private nonprofit housing organization in Des Moines. Wooderman brings more than 16 years of experience in property management, real estate development, and community engagement to the organization, where she'll replace Tony Montgomery, who left the organization in March. I could not be more excited to step into the role of Executive Director for Home, Inc., Wooderman said in a news release. Rarely does an opportunity come along that so perfectly aligns passion and skill set in a way that has potential to impact the landscape of affordable housing so positively in our community. I look forward to working with the Home Inc. team to tackle housing affordability in central Iowa. Werderman will begin her new position on August 8th. She most recently served as State Programs Director for the Iowa Finance Authority. Werderman has also served as Director of Development for Cating Properties in Urbandale, where she helped bring more than 550 workforce housing units to communities throughout Iowa. Before that, she was Vice President of Operations at TNL Properties in Granger, leading a team that managed a portfolio of affordable and market-rate multifamily housing, office, retail, and self-storage. And you've been listening to the business record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Services for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele. It's been my pleasure to uh, read this week's edition of Business Record for you. And thanks for sharing your time with IRIS. Mm-hmm.